Well, we started a series uh, last week. We're going to be in for four weeks called Fully Alive. And today we're talking on the strength of unity. Um, last week in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, we learned uh, that God made us, as we, as I just read a few minutes ago, made us who were dead in our sin, He made us alive in Christ when, when we trusted Jesus for salvation. We learned that we're not made right with God by our good works, but we're made right with God by our faith in the perfection of Jesus. And that we've been saved not by our good works, but we're saved for good works. We are, verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says that we're God's masterpiece. We're His workmanship. We're created anew in Christ Jesus to do the very things that God actually prepared in advance for us to do. He's actually prepared things for us to do. Just imagine that. God, God thought about it. He's thought about it. He's prepared things that are uniquely suited to you. Those of you who've raised children, think about those, those times you selected chores that were age appropriate and, and, and ability appropriate chores for your kids. And you said, okay, kids, it's Saturday. I have some chores prepared in advance. I prepared these chores for you to do. It's, it's way, it's kind of how, that helps you think about how God's done that for us. And we said last week that as individuals and as a church, we want to be fully alive. Not slightly, slightly alive, not artificially alive. Someone pointed out to me that even a real Christmas tree, once you cut it off, is dead. I, I know, but the, the, the point was that, you know, it's like a real tree. Um, truly and fully alive. I shared with you that as a church, our purpose our purpose is to be fully alive, making Christ Jesus known to our community, from our communities to the world. Fully alive, making Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world. And as a refresher, let me share a few other statements that we covered as well. We said that we have a mission, and our mission is to lead those who are apart from God. Um, let's jump to this. I, I may have got those out of order, Carter, as I put them together, but let's go to the ones that says mission. Now, we lead those apart from God to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth, truth of Jesus Christ and follow them together. What are we doing? We're leading those who are apart from God to come alive and find, by finding their way into the grace and truth of Christ Jesus and then follow Him together. What we see, our vision, we see a church that's fully alive, international, intergenerational, Glorifying God through multiplication, unity, and maturity. And then there's some objectives. What do we want to pursue? We want to pursue those three things. Multiplication, unity, and maturity. So today and in the next two weeks, we're going to look at those three things. Multiplication, unity, and maturity and as, as vital signs of the alive church. And um, both as individuals and as a church. And, and today we're going to look at unity. Now, the need for unity is, is more universal, I suppose, than we, we realize. And it's hard, uh, it's, well, it's not hard to understand how unity gives strength. For example, on your drive to church this morning, everyone agreed to drive together this side of the road in this direction, and on this side of the road, they can all drive that direction, right? And they all agreed that at, at red lights they would stop, and at green lights, they would go at yellow lights. They'd speed up, um, right? That's a kind of unity enforced, enforced by law, I suppose. But it's it's a unity in traffic. We need that kind of agreed unity to be able to to function, to safely get places day by day. Or do you remember the bumper stickers that proliferated around um, 
after 9-11, united we stand. Anybody ever have one of those in your, your car? They were popular. When I was living in Canada at the time, and there was one that had a, the American flag on one end and the Canadian flag on the other. United we stand. It was just like this, almost like a global thing of like, we are not going to allow these kind of terrible things to happen. We were rallying together, not letting the fear of the day splinter us apart. We need we needed that reminder because our enemies, they understand the wisdom of divide and conquer. And we understand united we stand. Think about your own family or your workplace or your classroom. Right? When you're all moving together, when you're in alignment, you experience peace and progress. When splintered by conflict, you struggle to find joy anywhere in your life. It affects everything. So unity provides strength and without it, we fall. Well, as followers of Jesus, as the church, we are to be in unity. And without it, we become, honestly, pretty ineffective and irrelevant to the world around us. Our unity as Christ followers is one of Jesus' last prayer requests. There's a, a chap, John chapter 17 records this long prayer of Jesus and includes these verses in, in 20 and 21 as Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus said this. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That includes you. Right. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus is praying for your, for our unity, for our togetherness, that we would be one. It's powerful. Unity is not sameness, right? Unity is not uniformity. Unity is, it does not mean you cannot think for yourself or have doubts or ask questions. We're not clones. We're not drones, right? But we are called to be and we need to be in alignment, working together, moving together. So before we get too much further, let's open the Bible and, and let God's word speak to us this morning. And we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter four to start with. And later we'll jump to Acts chapter six. But first, let's go to Ephesians chapter four. It's uh, it's well into the New Testament. If you're relatively new to the Bible, uh, this is one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church. The church was in Ephesus. Some of you have been to ancient Ephesus. You've seen those places, that street where Paul walked, encountered with and encountered people there. And uh, it was a church of uh, made up of people who had come out of um, great paganism and immorality, and they'd come to Christ. And Paul is teaching them. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word, Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse one. And Paul is writing. Remember, he's not in Ephesus. He's writing to the Ephesian believers. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner servant for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Let's be seated together. How the New Living Translation pretty accurately captures... um, 
one line there, making allowance for each other's faults. I think many of your translations will say, use the word forbearance to basically allow others to not be perfect. Uh, forbearance. It's a good word. Well, as we've, we've already said, we want to be guided by these objectives of multiplication, unity, and maturity. I want you to visualize with me for a moment a tree. A tree. A tree, the three basic parts of a tree are roots that go down, a trunk that stands firm, and the branches that reach out. Three essential elements to a tree. Roots, a trunk, and branches. Now, for a tree to be a healthy tree, it needs all three of those things. If you drive up into the up into our um, mountains and our parks right now, you'll see plenty of trees that have a trunk. They still have roots, but there's not much going on on the branches because they're dead. So you say, well, it's still a tree. Well, yeah, but it's not really what a tree was meant to be. Now, some of you had a Christmas tree, a, a real live Christmas tree that was not alive because you cut it off. It had a trunk, it had branches, but it had no roots. It lasts for a while, stay green for a while, looks nice, but eventually it'll turn brown and become a fire hazard. And somehow you think that the trash pickup people are actually going to pick it up. But um, they're rolling around on my street these days. So, right? Or, of course, you could never have a tree that's just roots and branches. That would just be a shrub. That doesn't work for this illustration. The roots, right, represent the depth of maturity. Goes down into the soil, draws up nutrients, draws up water, holds on in in the storm. The trunk is that what we would call the strength of unity. It's firm. You can tie a horse to it. You can climb onto it. You can do all kinds of things. It's strong. It's firm. And it holds up the branches. And the branches represent multiplication, reaching out, that which gives life, that which gives blessing. I have a tree in my backyard that has oranges on it. This week I picked an orange and I ate the sweetest, most delicious orange I've had in a long time. That, the branches of that tree are providing life and pleasure and joy. The church is meant to have roots. You as a believer are meant to have roots, the depth of maturity. We're meant to have unity, the strength that holds, uh, holds us up, gives us something to, 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 to you know, be present in the world. And we're meant to multiply. We're meant to reach out the branches that are a blessing to the people around you. They bring life. They provide shade in the summertime. The strength of maturity is the roots. I mean, the, the depth of maturity is the roots. The strength of unity is the trunk. You know, the blessing of multiplication in the branches. I want you to keep thinking about that image. Now, we this Ephesians chapter 4 passage, we actually looked at this about a year and a half ago. And one of our conclusions then, and remains true even now, is that unity is a choice. Unity is a choice. If you, if you see there in verses um, 2 and 3, he talks about qualities of humility, gentleness, patience, and as I already explained, forbearance, or putting up with one another's faults. Those are the pathway to unity. Those are, those are attitudes that you choose, not attributes that you have, but attitudes that you choose. It means we extend lots of grace. It means we can admit it when we've, when we've made a mistake, when we're wrong. It means we can forgive others when they're wrong. That, that it's, it's not a competition to see who can be right or who can be more right than the other person. Right? It's a challenge to be joined as one, aligned in our purpose and in our mission, 
moving together in the same direction with the same vision. But there's also a really beautiful aspect of unity that recognizes we're not all the same. We're not all the same. We're not all those, you know, you know, like from Star Wars, like the clone army, like everyone was the same. We're not like that. We're different. Verse 7 says this. Uh, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. God's given you a special gift. I'd say, I'd say it this way. Unity lets you be you. Unity lets you be you. And that's the paradox of all of this, right? Unity only works if everyone operates in the gift that they've been given. It doesn't work if you try to be me and I try to be you or we all try to be, you know, one person. Now, if you don't understand how God has gifted you, part of your maturing process as a, as a believer is to get that figured out and put that gift to use. If you find yourself unhappy in your life, right? If you're, you're unhappy at, at church, if you're unhappy even in the workplace or home, if you're disgruntled about vision and mission, if you're just unsettled about where life is going, it's probably because you have not figured out your spiritual gift and how it fits into the larger picture. It's up to you to do that. You, now, we can help you, but you need to get that sorted out. We're going to need an example to apply all this, to help all this make sense. Because it's it's a little bit, I don't know, technical here. It feels a bit like a workshop. So let's, um, we're going to go um, to Acts chapter 6. This is a little earlier in the New Testament. You can start finding that now. Go back to the left a little bit in your Bible. We're going to go to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 6. And in this scenario, the brand new church, the church that has just been born on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power, Right? You have this situation where many people are getting saved. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing signs and wonders. The believers are meeting together. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting publicly. They're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, they're fellowshipping together in prayer. It's growing rapidly in the city of Jerusalem. Um, God have mercy and peace on Jerusalem. So let's, let's look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And I'm just going to read the first seven verses. It says, as the believers multiplied rapidly, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers or Gentiles complained about the Hebrew speaking believers, the Jewish Christians, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. By the way, there's nothing earlier that says um, there was a daily food program. These, sometimes these little things are just slid in there because it was just so natural for them to do that as an outgrowth of their, of their life in Christ. Verse 2 says, So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Well, everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, who later becomes the first martyr of the church in chapter 7. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanis, and Nicholas of Antioch, who was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. 
So God's message continues to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. It's a little bit interesting in that group of seven. They too were ethnically mixed. They weren't all the same. They didn't all have the same, you know, heritage. It was a blend because they had a, they had a cultural ethnic problem they had to deal with. This is the first time in the New Testament after Pentecost, the first time in the new church that we see the selection of leaders among believers. And because of the way they did this, right, the problem was corrected. Unity was restored. The gospel continued to spread. Now, notice something. They did not say, well, we have a problem. Let's see. How about here's a sign up list and um, just have everybody take a day for feeding the widows. And just as long as everybody takes their turn, everything will go smoothly. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Um, they, they, they didn't say, well, we just need people with willing hearts. That's what we need. We just need people with willing hearts. No, nope, they didn't. They didn't use that line either. Right. They, they didn't say, um, well, find somebody who's got nothing better to do and pick them. Give them a job. That'll keep them around. No, they didn't do any of those things. Their selection criteria is still foolproof today, right? Ministry programs and, and ministry activities need good administration. So they said, choose people with a good reputation who are full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of wisdom. And then they entrusted them with both the responsibility and the authority to do the job. They didn't just... They didn't just have to do all the work. They were allowed to make decisions about the work. I like the way the New International Version puts this. It says, we will hand this responsibility over to them. You guys do this. You run with it. You seven, we selected you. We see that you're gifted for this and, and capable. Go for it. You know, from chaos, the apostles came up with a solution that restored unity. Work together, they told them, to select godly and gifted servants. We call them deacons. Um, deacon is a, is a word to mean servant. And so this is often called the selection of the deacons. Um, find these, these men and so that the apostles then could be freed up to do the essential work of preaching, teaching, and prayer. So feeding the widows was obviously a very important thing for them. It was a priority. But the apostles needed to be about the business of prayer and the word. I like to think of it this way. Unity cures chaos. Unity cures chaos. See, if everyone just does their own thing, or everyone just does what they think is the best thing, which all may be very good things, mind you, right? but if we each just go about it in a different direction, it's just chaos, and nothing really gets accomplished. Were the, were the, Jew, were the Greek speaking or the, the Gentile widows really being discriminated against in Jerusalem? We don't know. But that certainly was their perception because why? Because the right people were not in charge of this rapidly growing program. And by the way, in case you're wondering why was this even necessary, a, a widow in that culture, in that context, was really hard up. It wasn't like you, there was no life insurance from their husband. There wasn't like they could just get a job or something. It was, it was, a, it was a real hardship to be in that situation. So, Obviously, it was not an intentional bias. And we know that because as soon as they recognized the problem, they said, well, we need to do we need to do something about this. Right. They did not say, well, it's just the way we've always done it. It's too bad. Some people are going to get missed, whatever. 
No, they, they recognized that this was a priority. They just said, we need the right people to lead this very great but broken program. And with this amazing result, you see it there in verse 7. God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. It's just really reaching. Um, and that's just a funny thing to think about. Like, somehow resolving an administrative and cultural ministry problem led to many more salvations. I'm telling you, friends, administration is important. It's a, it's a gift of God. And when it's done well, people get saved. They didn't fix the problem, though, to make the church grow. They fixed the problem to get food to the widows fairly. But the result of the unity in doing so, having the right people in the right places, was that people flourished in their gifting and calling. And because they could flourish in their gifting and calling, the church was growing. I would add this. If a church ever has a goal to not grow in size, to stay small, right? If someone says, well, smaller is better because quality is better than quantity, that person is not following biblical principles. Quality leads to quantity every time. If our church stays small, it may partly be that we have not adequately addressed structural and cultural problems that block us from filling our gospel mission to lead those apart from God to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and following them together. There's a, there's a reason. If it doesn't grow, there's, there's reasons that can be addressed, can be biblically fixed, can be resolved. But it doesn't work to say, well, it's just how God made us to be small. No, God's called us to proclaim the gospel. And if people are, if we're proclaiming the gospel, people will respond. If people are responding, then there'll be growth. If there's growth, there'll be some problems. And that's a good thing. Because it means we get to put people into their place of gifting and ability as God has enabled them. So an unintended byproduct is that unity fuels mission. We said unity cures chaos, but unity fuels mission. Let, Let me... Emphasize again, unity is not uniformity, right? Last Sunday, we talked about how in the past 50 years ago or more, churches were largely built around sameness, right? We, you know, if you, if we share the same language or same ethnic heritage, we stuck together with a few exceptions to that. That's how we did it in the past. But in, in the Jerusalem church, their diversity of Jews and Gentiles Hebrew-speaking, Greek-speaking, that was not a threat to their unity. The apostles did not say, well, maybe we should just start a church for the, for the Gentile widows and the Gentile believers. Let's put them over here and we'll keep the Jewish believers over here. This, that way we'll all get along. No. No, they said, well, we're one. We desire to be unified. We desire to, to take care of, of each person who needs care. So let's get those people appropriately gifted into their proper roles. We can keep promoting the gospel. Now, You might be thinking this morning, Brian, I am not even listening to you. This is going over my head. I'm this. I'm here after a brutal week at work or I'm battling my kids nonstop or I'm dreading going back to the classroom tomorrow or my my ex is raising hell or I'm broke and I can't pay my bills. So I, I couldn't care less about unity and purpose and church vision. Just get me through the week. But I'm saying if we are unified properly 
we may actually be able to help address those very needs in your life. And you're going to find a place of purpose and fulfillment in God's work because you'll understand your gifting and you'll find your place to serve God by serving others. So it does all fit together. Without a doubt, a fully alive church is a unified church. And a fully alive church is going to grow and it's going to minister meaningfully in the world, which brings us back to Ephesians 4 for a final comment. If you want to flip back to Ephesians 4, uh, I'll have these verses on screen as well. Verse 3 says this. In fact, let's read this together. Ready? Go. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Okay, well, why? Why would we make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit? Why would we bother seeking for ways to bind ourselves together with peace? Why, why would it matter? Well, it matters because what's stated in the next three verses. Think we can read this together? Let's go. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Hmm. We choose unity because God chooses unity. Right? God did not create a variety of ways to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. That's salvation by grace through your faith in Christ Jesus. God, you see there, is one. He is one as Father. He is one as Son. He is one as Holy Spirit. He has raised up one church. He's, he's made up, you know, made up of all of us who, who trust in Christ Jesus. Jesus who is the uncreated and eternal Son of God for, for our salvation. When we make the choice of unity by extending the grace of humility, kindness, patience, forbearance, those decisions that we make to love each other, when we do that, we are imitating Christ who perfectly modeled humility, kindness, patience, and forbearance. I don't mean that in a, in a theoretical way. I, I really mean the people in your life and in our church, people in, in your groups and so on, even in your workplace and in your classroom and so on, they are the very people to whom you are to show unity. I mean, to show humility, kindness, patience, and forbearance. It's not like, oh yeah, somebody should do that. No, that's you and me. We're called to do that. To the person sitting next to you and the person sitting behind you in front of you right at this moment. Right. Why? Because Christ did it for you. Christ showed you all those things and so we show that to others. In other words, Unity honors God. Unity honors God. In the Jerusalem church, their unity assisted in many people coming to, to faith. Nothing honors God more than lives surrendered to Him, people coming to Christ. Because God gets the glory when people trust in His grace for salvation. So along with prayer and fasting and fellowship and good teaching, right, the early church did not neglect the good deeds of feeding the poor among them. They did not discriminate against those outside their ethnic heritage. Right? They made sure people were in their gifting so the gospel would be unhindered. And as a result, the church grew. Think of it this way. They cared for those on the inside so they could keep their vision to the outside. They did not neglect the saved even as they passionately looked for ways to bring in the lost. That church in Jerusalem 
was fully alive. Perfect? No. Chaotic? Sometimes. Right? Figuring it out? Absolutely. But fully alive and their unity was proof of that. I wonder about you and about me. Are we choosing the actions of unity in our daily life? Are you humble? Are you showing kindness and patience? Are you making allowance, you're making allowance for others to have faults? Are you figuring out your gifting? Are you helping to promote wise and godly people into positions of, of leadership at church? Are you seeking to be that yourself? Fill with the Holy Spirit and wisdom so that you can also lead. Unity is a choice. It's a choice at church. It's a choice at home, at work. It doesn't happen without us choosing to be in unity. Let's close in prayer. God, we're, um, it's our desire to be, to live effectively for you, to live meaningfully for you in our city, in our homes, our workplaces, classrooms. God, we want to be fully alive in all those places so that you can be made known, so that people will be drawn. Just like in that Jerusalem church, as those good things were happening, Droves of people came to you. Lord, don't let us ever be content with the status quo and as is and good enough. Lord, we want to be alive. We want to be living in unity and pursuing these very qualities. God, I pray that you would help us to be humble and gentle and patient, forbearing with one another. Lord, let's remember that none of us has it all figured out. I just pray that as we step into another week of this new year in a, in a world that seems to have more question marks than answers. God, I ask that you would allow us to be the kind of people that bring life and light to every circumstance, every workplace, every home, every school, every street, every shop. God, that you'd be glorified through our lives as we pursue the unity of the Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.